If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and grab it and turn over to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is towards the end of the Bible. It's in the New Testament. Uh, and that's where we'll be today. So one of our focuses this year as a church family is biblical literacy. Basically, we want to help every single one of you learn how to read the Bible, learn how to understand the Bible. We want to help you grow uh, so that you get the most out of your personal Bible reading. We want to give you the tools to do that. And so we've picked out this reading plan that we're going through together as a church family. Uh, and we're doing this campaign, so to speak, uh, where we're going to be uh, reading the Bible together. We've put together some videos and uh, devotionals and helps along the way that we'll be uh, posting on our website at kx.church/bible. You can find those resources there. Uh, but we're calling this uh, effort uh, Read the Bible. Pretty straightforward, right? And <laughs> we're just calling it the Read the Bible uh, campaign for our church. And this month, uh, to, to sort of uh, launch that off, I'm specifically preaching through um, different parts of the Bible uh, that speak specifically on the nature of the Scriptures. Uh, and this morning, we're going to unpack a really important uh, and weighty text to me uh, as, as far as that topic is concerned. This text has a lot of gravity to me, has a lot of impact on the way that I view uh, my role as your pastor. And so um, the text is about preaching the Word. It's about preaching the Bible. And you're probably thinking like, Hey, preaching's your job, right? Like you're probably thinking like preaching's, preaching's your job. And so why do you need to talk to us about it, right? Like why do I need to talk to you about preaching? And that's a great question. Uh, it's a good one to ask. Uh, and the answer is because even if you'll never ever preach a sermon in your life, my goal is that you would walk away from this sermon with a clearer picture of what the Bible says about preaching. Because it's such a huge part of, uh, of just the Christian disciplines. Preaching is such a huge part of what we do uh, weekly on the Lord's Day, on our Sunday Christian gatherings. And so you should ask, why is it so important? Why is preaching so important? And so let me give you a few reasons why this particular sermon might be important uh, and practical for you. Even if you're new to the faith, all right, you're new to the faith. Uh, maybe you're a skeptic that's kind of checking this whole Jesus thing out for the first time. You're you're sort of tuning in for the first time. I want you, if you're in that boat, to understand why Bible preaching is integral to the life and maturity of any healthy Christian church. Uh, and I hope hope that you'll see uh, why how we are committed to that here at King's Cross. Or maybe you're a follower of Jesus, uh, you're a member of King's Cross, and like this is your church home. I still want you to grow in your ability uh, to discern what faithful preaching is, and to discern what faithful preaching isn't. Like That's important for you to know. Like Some of you uh, might be called to move away uh, because of a job that takes you away, uh, maybe just uh, some family affairs that you need to take care of, um, like to take care of a family member, uh, or, or maybe some of you are going to move to another country on the mission field 
to share Jesus in another, in another country, in another culture. Regardless of where you're at on, on this whole spectrum, it's, it's important for you to have a firm grasp of what the Bible says about preaching so that you can pick a good church to wherever it is that God calls you to. I want every single one of us, myself included, I want all of us as we read this passage to grow in our knowledge of the words so that you can know, biblically speaking, what faithful preaching looks like. So that if for some reason, like let's just say I stop faithfully preaching the word, then you know that that's happening and then you should leave this church. Like honestly, if I stop preaching the Bible faithfully in the way that the, the Bible uh, calls me to as a preacher of the word and as a pastor of the church, then I mean, you should get rid of me or find another church, right? I should be replaced. Like that's how important this topic is. So let's go ahead and dive into the text. 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Let's pray. Lord, would you speak to us in these verses? We want to be a people, a church that is grounded in your word, that sees the power in your word, and is compelled by your spirit to take that world out into the world that we live in. Lord, would you help us, shape us, mold us by your spirit and by these truths that we'll unpack today. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, now here's the first point I want you to see in these verses. The weight of biblical preaching. That's point number one. I want you to see the weight of biblical preaching. Now, it might be helpful to know that 2 Timothy is written by one of the original pastors slash church planters. One of the OG pastor planters. A guy by the name of Apostle Paul. And then Paul is writing this letter that we're reading uh, to his son in the faith, who you may have guessed is named Timothy. And Paul's writing this while he's sitting in a Roman uh, prison cell. And it's helpful to know that, uh, that the prison cells back then in the Roman Empire um, were not as cushy as the ones that we see in our nation today right? Uh, hopefully you don't have personal experience from that, uh, but you know, you've perhaps seen this in the media or in shows or in movies, right? Uh, like uh, in our system, you get fed a meal, uh, you get to hit the weights, you got some extracurricular things that you, you can do from time to time. But Roman prisons back then uh, worked a lot different. They would throw you into the small enclosed space. You'd have to dig out this hole in the ground that they would make you sit in. That's the hole that you would go to the bathroom in. And sometimes they just make you sit there uh, in your own puddle. Uh, and a lot of times you just wait in that hole until you die. That's the situation that Paul's in when he's writing this letter. And so he's sitting there, somehow gets the opportunity to write 
um, a letter. Uh, and this letter happens to be his final recorded letter that we have from him. His final word to his adopted son in the faith, Timothy. And so if that's the situation you're in, if, that's, if you're Paul and that's the type of situation that you're in, what is something that you would want to write about? What is one thing that you would want to say? And it's in that short, it's in this short letter that Paul writes these words beginning in uh, chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Now stop right there. You notice just the intensity of the language in these verses? Right? I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, by all of that, preach the word. Right? Like I already gave you the backdrop, but now I want us to dig into this short phrases that, that sort of intensify Paul's command. Let's go through them one by one. I want you to feel the weight of each of these words. First, he says, I charge you. I charge you. Now, the Greek word used for charge there is diumarturumai, which can literally be translated, I solemnly charge you or I soberly charge you. So you feel the weight of this command, right? You can feel the weight of it. You'd think that Timothy already felt that weight given Paul's situation. But here Paul makes it crystal clear that what he's about to say has a heavy weight to it. It's got a gravity to it. And now Paul says, look, I'm, I mean, I mean, he's, He's already like told Timothy in previous letters about how he suffered, how he's not even sure if he's going to make it. Uh, but here he's saying, look, now I'm really going to get solemn with you. I'm really going to get serious and sober with you. Right. And he says, I charge you. Uh, next phrase in the presence of God. Now, by using that phrase, he wants Timothy to understand that everything he's saying, he understands, is said before the presence of God. It's said before the face of God. The reformers had this Latin phrase, uh, quorum Deo, which means before the face of God. It was the, they considered it the essence of Christian life. It's this recognizing that you live your whole life aware of the presence of God. You live a life of integrity, just surrendered to Him, right? And so Paul's kind of getting to that. Um, uh, it's, it's with that sort of idea in mind that Paul's saying, look, I understand that as I'm saying this, our omnipresent God is overseeing my words, and I'm saying this in his presence, uh, just to add to the weight of what he's about to say. And then, and then he says, um, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. So Paul's saying, look, God the Father and God the Son are watching over you, Timothy, and they care a lot about what I'm about to say. Uh, and then he says the next phrase, uh, who is to judge the living and the dead. All right, now this is a big one. Paul here is invoking the fact that Jesus is the final judge over all the earth at the end of time. 
right? And so what that tells us, what that tells the preacher is that he doesn't just uh, deal in matters of life and death. But the preacher deals in matters of eternal judgment before our Lord Jesus. You know those scenes in action movies where like one of the good guys finds a bomb and he's like, oh no, and then he like calls it in and then the guy on the other line's like, like, don't worry, like we're on our way, like the bomb squad's gonna come in. And then he's like, we have two minutes, like we, there's not enough time, I'll do it, right? And he's like, all right, like I'll walk you through it. Uh, and he's like, cut the blue wire, no, the red wire, I mean the white wire, right? And it's just like, you're like on the edge of your seat and you see the guy's like shaking his hands and he's like yelling at the other guy because he's like, it's a high stress situation. Uh, and he's all like worked up because he's like, my life is in the balance here. Right? Like, I want to get this right because my life is in the balance here. The lives of the people around me are in the balance here. The stakes are high, and that's why his hands are like all shaking. You see, when you know that your life and the lives of others are on the line, it gives you like a sobering reverence for the task that's right in front of you. But if you have someone's eternity on the line, like not just their life, but their eternity on the line, that's an even heavier weight. There's an even graver gravity uh, at play. It should produce an even heavier uh, reverence for the task at hand. In other words, Paul is reminding Timothy that pastors and preachers are one day going to stand before God and give an account for every word that they ever taught every doctrine that they ever exposed, every sermon that they ever preach, every single one of us who serves as a pastor or preacher is going to have to stand before God and give an account on how faithful our preaching is, on how faithful we followed this charge that we see in these verses. James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote about this in his epistle uh, when he said, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. You see, preachers, we have to do the hard work of exegesis, digging into the scriptures to pull out what's actually there in the text rather than molding the scriptures to fit whatever it is that we want to say, rather than picking and choosing a verse from here, a verse from there, this translation versus that translation, to, to, to sort of make uh, the, the scriptures uh, use, say, the content and, and have the tone that we want it to have. Look, that's a big deal. And one that I'm going to have to give an account for, uh, just the task of preaching. And so, man, would you just... Pray for me when you think about me. Pray for me and those who teach uh, the Bible at our church. Uh, now, back to 2 Timothy. Paul's still not finished. He says, And by his appearing and his kingdom. Here he's reminding Timothy of the one day that all Christians long for. The last day when God's kingdom will come down. When Jesus will make complete his work of making all things new. All evil, all sin, all death, all pain, all suffering, all sadness will be no more. His kingdom will come. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so in every single one of these phrases that he uses, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's the judge of the living of the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, and every single one of these phrases, inspired by the Spirit of God, but written by the hand of Paul, and every single one of those phrases, Paul's letting Timothy feel 
the gravity, feel the weightiness of this charge, this command that he's about to give him. Man, you got to imagine being in Timothy's shoes, receiving this letter from his mentor, his father in the faith, not knowing if he's going to survive until tomorrow, not knowing if he's ever going to see him again. Timothy receives this letter, he's reading it, and then he gets to this part. And you got to imagine just the weight that he felt, the gravitas of Paul's charge to him. When he read those words, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearance and his kingdom, preach the word. It's a big task. And so there's the weight of biblical preaching. Number two, I want us to consider the content of biblical preaching. Look at verse two with me. He says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and understanding. Now here Paul's giving his protege Timothy uh, his primary calling in the ministry, which is to preach, to publicly proclaim God's word, the scriptures. Now what is it that you think of when you hear the word preach, right? Maybe especially if you didn't grow up in the church, when you hear that word preach, uh, it's got like a negative connotation to it, right? When you describe someone as being preachy, uh, typically you mean they're being like Dutch judgmental, that they're talking down on you, right? Uh, But the original word there, Greek word for the word preach, is uh, the, the word keruso, which has a unique meaning to it. It's got a fuller definition than just the normal sort of didactic form of teaching that we think of when we hear the word preach. It's a word that literally means to proclaim as a herald or a public crier. And see, that's because Christianity is about good news. At its very core, at the very center of the Christian faith, is good news. And see, back in those days, the way that you spread good news is you would send a herald right? A herald whose one job was to uh, ride into the town square, which was the center of where they did all their business. And so it's where all the people would be gathered uh, during the day. Uh, And and the herald's job was to ride into the town square, to get up on uh, a platform and to shout whatever newsworthy events had just happened that everyone needed to know. And so when the empire has been at war, uh, and then the empire, like when, when, when you win the war, the herald would ride into town uh, and he would herald the good news. We have won. We have the victory. The war is over. They didn't have Google or Twitter or cable news back then. They had heralds. That's how you got the news. And look, the fact that Christianity is all about good news to be proclaimed is what sets it apart from every other religion, especially at that time, right? Like you didn't have news to proclaim for other religions. You had lessons to learn, right? Do this, don't do that. Have this state of mind. Don't do that thing over there, right? It was all about, here's what you do. But Christianity breaks into history, heralding the divinely authorized message of God to a sinful and needy world saying, here's what Jesus has done. 
It's finished. Here's what Jesus has done. The Messiah has come. He lived for us. He died for your sins. He rose from the dead to save sinners like me and like you. And they use the word preach to describe the proclamation of what the scriptures contain. They use the word preach, keruso, to describe uh, the work of preaching God's word. What is the scriptures? It's the inspired word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God. It is the God-inspired scriptures. And so the early church, they viewed the word as not merely like one thing among many things that they're involved in. They, they viewed it as the means by which the church exists itself. In other words, the word of God was not merely just words, but they were words that brought life. Words that when applied to our hearts makes us into new creations. The word of God applied by the spirit of God makes new Christians and also builds up old Christians. That's why the early church was described as a creature of the word. Matt Chandler expands on that on that phrase, creature of the word, when he says, yes, the church is a creature. She's alive. A living, breathing movement of God's people redeemed and placed together in a collective community. But she is not alive in her own doing. She has been made alive by the word. God spoke her into existence through the declaration of the gospel, his righteousness on our behalf. See, God spoke the church into existence through the declaration of his word. He strengthens those Christians through the continued declaration of his word. In the same way that plants need water to sprout and grow, the church needs the word. Ever since the early church, Christians have been gathering to hear the word preach, to sing the word in song, to celebrate the word in communion. Uh, and that's what the church has always done for thousands and thousands of years, to sing, celebrate, and receive and hear the word. The word teaches us who God is and who we are. And that's why we need it. That's why we need it as our authority. We need the word. We need it to shape us, to teach us more about who God is and who we are. That is why the word is our authority. See, the culture is vying for our attention. Everyone is being constantly evangelized to, being constantly preached to, uh, from fake news about uh, surrounding politics to influencers uh, going up and down our Instagram feeds uh, to all the ads that fill up our timelines. Like they're all trying to evangelize some type of worldview to us, telling us how it is that we should live, what it is that we should live for. And the flesh might be tempted to trust authorities like these, but the Spirit tells us that we find our authority from one place, from the Word of God, preserved for us as His gift, preserved for us throughout the centuries. Look, you shouldn't come or like tune in to uh, our, our gatherings, our services, just to hear like my opinion on life and religion. You shouldn't come to hear cool stories or great coats quotes on stuff like you should come primarily with the question 
What does God have to say to me today? What does God have for me today? What is it that he wants to teach me, to challenge me with, to encourage me with? Like in some sense, you can say that my job as the pastor and preacher at this church, my job is kind of like a mailman. My job is just to deliver the mail. I don't write the mail, I just deliver the mail. And I shouldn't get in the way of it. Right? So a good church will always have good preaching. Right? Don't forget that. A good church will always have good preaching. Now I want to break down really quick uh, our philosophy of preaching here at King's Cross. Uh, this is a list of questions uh, that I go through from time to time when I'm preparing a sermon. Uh, it's a list of questions uh, and, and, and points that I, I give to all of our guest preachers uh, before they, they, they teach at our church. Uh, it's, it's a document that I use to train uh, up men who are learning how to preach the word at our church. Uh, and so let me give you our philosophy of preaching. And, and because we're whole creatures, we believe God should impact us uh, at our head, our hearts, and our hands. And so our philosophy is broken up into those three categories. Under the head banner, right? Uh, I ask the question, is the sermon biblical? Is the sermon biblical? In other words, do the points and arguments, are they actually grounded in the word? Did I come up with the, did I come up with the points and arguments, and am I forcing the word onto my own opinions, or do the points and arguments actually come from the word of God itself? Secondly, is the sermon theological? Is the sermon theological? Does it declare what God says is true? You see, true preaching doesn't cater to our felt needs. It has, it has a, a clear sense of conviction about who God is and what God has done and what it means for us. It tells us what good preaching, uh, biblical preaching tells us what the, what the text wants to say to us, uh, not what we think people want to hear. And so is the, under head, is the sermon biblical? Is it theological? Under heart. And look, this is important too, because a lot of times when we think of doctrine and theology, we think, okay, what should I think? And then what do I do about it? What should I think? What do I do about it? Um, especially in the West. In Western cultures, that's what we're obsessed with. In a post-enlightenment area, uh, our, our, uh, era, uh, we, we want to think, what should I think? And what do I do, do with that? <clears throat> But look, God is after our hearts. Like we are feeling people too. We are emotive creatures. And we emote based on what we know about the world around us. And so it's certainly, it's like we've got to make sure that the, what goes into our head is biblical. But it can't bypass the heart before we do something about it. It needs to, it needs to uh, impress our hearts as well. Uh, as a matter of fact, John Calvin, uh, who's um, preeminence when it comes to a theologian of theologians, here's what he says about doctrine. He says, doctrine is rightly received when it takes possession of the entire soul and finds a dwelling place and shelter in the most intimate affections of the heart. Our hearts need to be fully devoted to the Lord. And so under the heart banner, I ask the question, is this sermon worshipful? Is this sermon worshipful? Does it stir our affections? Does it stir our heart? Good preaching should usher us into the presence of Christ to make us want to worship Him, to exalt Him, to devote our lives to Him. Is the sermon compassionate? Does it have a spirit of love? 
Does it have a posture of helping people see Jesus? Or is it just bashing people over the head with didactic things to believe? Or is there a posture of wanting to help people see true things about Jesus? So that they'll worship Him. So they'll feel loved by Him. You see, some texts in the Scripture and some passages in the Scripture are admittedly harder and harsher and do confront us uh, bluntly. But it should always, but it should still have a heart uh, when, we, when we preach those. Uh, and then considering hands, uh, in other words, making this practical. Is the sermon transformational? In other words, does it, does it actually change us? Does it lead to a change in our lives? Uh, does it lead to repentance, to response, to spiritual maturity? And is it missional? Does the sermon explain why the point matters to the mission of God and the salvation of souls? And is it evangelistic? Like, is it, is it winsome for somebody who doesn't know Jesus, who's new to the faith? Uh, can they understand what's, what's being said? And, and lastly, with hands, like, is it, just, is it Christ-centered? Does the sermon show how Jesus is the hero savior of the Bible? Or is it like me-centered? Is it, is it people-centered, where it just tries to motivate you to be a better person, a more spiritual person? Or does it draw us closer to Christ, to be more centered in Christ, to, to love Him, to adore Him, to feel loved by Him, and, and, to, and from there to be all the more motivated to walk in His ways? Is it Christ-centered? Look, I hope, I hope you see that, that this, is, this is important to us. It's important to us because this is important to the Lord. That's why there's a weight to it, a gravity to it, a priority to it. Look, that's what I want to talk about as we close our time in this text. Through the following verses, we see the priority that we should place on biblical preaching. So that's point number three, the priority of biblical preaching. I want you to read verse three and four with me. He says, for a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away for, from listening to the truths and wander off into myths. So he's saying here, Timothy, this is important. This is urgent. Make this a priority. The time is coming where people will turn away from sound teaching. And man, look at that vivid, great picture that Paul uses. Uh, he talks about their itching ears, right? You ever know, anytime you have anything itching on your face, like you just want to scratch it wide away. Ah, it's making my face itch right now just talking about it. Uh, but he, he's, he's talking here about anyone who has like this appetite for novelty, this appetite for entertainment. These are people who go from book to book, from church to church, from group to group. They're always looking for that one thing to scratch their, 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 their curiosity or to scratch their, um, their inclinations. And so the big question becomes, um, hey, is this entertaining? Does this make me feel good? How does this make me feel? That was a common drift of churchgoers in Paul's day. Uh, and, and, and I think we have to admit that's the same error that we often see people make in our culture today, churchgoers in our culture today. Um, look, we, we live in these kind of times. We live in such times where the question people are, 
are, are asking isn't, is this true? What does this say about God? But rather what they're asking is, how does this make me feel? How does this motivate me, right? How does this rub or jive with my sensibilities, with my opinions? And because of that, in these times, these people will accumulate for themselves, Paul says, uh, literally translate can be translated, they will stockpile for themselves, they will hoard for themselves books, podcasts, blogs, teachers that they like simply because they, they scratch that itch. It's what they want to hear. It suits their passions. Look, we live in a dangerous moment for this. People will be confronted by the word in a certain place, in a certain church, and so then they'll leave that place and they'll find another that doesn't confront them. And if anyone dares to care, dares to care or, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> if anyone cares to, like, if anyone dares to care or, or love you enough to graciously challenge your life, you, you, then you'll like unplug from them and move on to the next community until your itching ears get scratched. But if you're not letting the word, if you're not willing to let the word <coughs> point out your rough spots and reveal your dark edges, point out the, the blind sins that you don't even, <coughs> the sins, the secret sins that you're even blind to, then there's no real spiritual intimacy at work in your heart with Jesus. There's no real spiritual intimacy there. If you're always chasing after what's comfortable and easy and not willing to get dirty every once in a while, to get a little messy, um, and to put in effort to hear the word and study it and to be challenged by it. And so you need to settle in your heart right now. Settle this in your heart right now. That when you hear the word of God preach, is the concern of your heart, how does this make me feel? Or is the concern of your heart, is this true and right? See, we need rhythms of truth week in and week out. We need heralds of truth because there's an absence of it in every generation. And so we need faithful preachers and faithful preaching that proclaims, this is what the Lord says in his word. This is what the Lord has done for us. This is the hope for you and for me and for all the world. It is truth that comes with power and with grace, with love and grace. Look, sometimes we have itching ears instead of discerning ears. And we'll only read those books and blogs that make us feel good. We'll only listen to those sermon and podcasts that we already agree with. We'll only consider the verses of the Bible that are easy to swallow. But this is why Paul is giving this sense of urgency to Timothy. To be diligent. To be faithful in his work of preaching. Because there's going to be a time. There's going to be a time when people will oppose the message of God. And they'll start to bank their lives on the opinions of men which will lead them, in the end, away from God forever. And so it's urgent. It's urgent. It's a priority that you preach, uh, that, that, that Paul says, you preach now and that you preach the word. This word brings us humbly to the feet of Jesus. That's the point of the word. 
The Word brings us humbly to the feet of Jesus, who is the incarnate Word. The Bible says that Jesus himself is the Word made flesh. He is the ultimate revelation of God. Jesus Christ is the ultimate revelation of God, not just in his greatness and power, but in his humble, gracious pursuit of undeserving sinners like me and like you. We need the word to point us to the capital W word, Jesus. I want you to consider how this passage isn't just relevant, relevant, that's the word, (laughs) relevant for pastors and preachers. Like maybe, maybe you're new or visiting, you're looking for a new church, you're exploring uh, the faith for the first time. Um, This is the kind of church to look for, the kind of church that preaches the word. And at King's Cross, we're committed to helping you learn the Bible and grow in the word. We have that plan that we're going through through our Read the Bible campaign. We're providing helps along the way. We've invested into resources like an audio Bible app that you can listen to um, and uh, other resources like that, uh, videos and stuff like that. Uh, And look, if if you are visiting, we hope you stick around. But if not, uh, for whatever reason, it's not a good fit. Like, that's okay as long as you end up at a good Bible preaching church. And we would totally love to help you find a good Bible church. And so um, if you're in that boat, um, please shoot us a message. Shoot us an email. We'd love to pray for you. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, it, hope you stick around. But if not, like, we'd love to help you find that right place. Um, it's relevant for us who have been Christians for a while, too. Relevant for... Uh, This message is relevant for those of us who are church members here at King's Cross. To those who sit under preaching each week, uh, week after week, we all need to hunger for that word. To come expectantly each week to hear the word. And we need to pray that God would be faithful to use that word that is preached in our hearts so that together we can be more shaped into the image uh, of Christ and have the life and the character uh, of Jesus Christ that God calls us to. Look, our desire, our mission, our desire as a church is to be wholehearted disciples of Jesus who authentically live for the glory of God and the good of others in the everyday stuff of life. We do that by being shaped by the word and by the spirit of God, shaped by the word through the power of God's spirit. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.